I invite you to take and turn with me in your Bibles to the New Testament book of Galatians. If you start at the beginning of the New Testament, you find the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you'll find the book of Acts, which records the spread of the gospel and the founding of the, the church. And then we come to the letters of Romans and First and Second Corinthians. Those are named because of the cities of Rome and Corinth to where the letters are written. And then finally, you will come to Galatians, where I want to begin reading in Galatians 1, 1 through 10 this morning. Galatians 1, 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, and I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For, I'm now, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now, a moment ago, I mentioned that some of the books of the Bible are named after the city in which they're written. So when we see this is going to the, the churches of Galatia, we would assume that this is the city of Galatia. But as you look at the, the background of Galatians, what you find is Galatia in the first century meant different things to different people. Here's a map of the area, and you see Galatia in green over there, which encompasses uh, the territory of Turkey in our modern day. And Galatia was originally founded, the name literally means country of the Gauls. And the Gauls were a, a, a tribe type of people who were living in the area of France in our day, and they migrated over to Asia Minor, and they settled in this area. They were a fierce tribe who established this kingdom of Galatia. And eventually Rome came in and conquered the area. And when they did, they added six territories to the south into a new imperial province that they kept the name of Galatia for. So a first century reader would wonder, would, would know at that day with Paul, but when we look back at the first century, we wonder, is he talking about this northern kingdom of Galatia or is he incorporating down into the southern territories these six areas that were added? And uh, the, down in the south, you see these different churches, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. These are listed, as you read through Acts, as churches that were founded by Paul. Now, you may be listening to this and saying, well, Roger, what does it really matter uh, where this area is? Well, it matters in terms of the dating of when this book was written. Because if you take it to be the northern area of Galatia, the old Celtic kingdom, it wasn't until the third missionary journey of Paul that Paul began to evangelize up to the north. Uh, you find that in, in Acts 16.6 and in 1823. But if it's this, this other option down to the south, then that's Acts chapter 13 and 14, where those churches are. So if you take the, the northern area, then this gospel would be written from Ephesus around 54 AD, or possibly Corinth in 57 AD. 
But if it's the lower territory, then that places the writing of this book in 48 or 49 AD, which means it was the first of the letters that Paul wrote under God's inspiration that we have in the New Testament. And I believe it's this southern area for a number of reasons. When we get to Galatians chapter 2, we're going to find Barnabas is mentioned. And Barnabas was with Paul on the first missionary journey. And it wouldn't make any sense to mention Barnabas to these churches unless they were familiar with Barnabas as having been one of the men who shared the gospel when he was there. Also, when we get to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 13, we're going to see how Paul talks about the Galatians receiving him when he was suffering physically. And then in chapter 6, Paul speaks about, in verse 17, the brand marks on his body that he bears for the sake of the gospel. And these are pointing back to Acts chapter 14 and verse 19, where the legalists, you'll remember, tried to stone Paul to death. Uh, Legalists didn't like the message of grace that Paul was sharing, that you could be saved through grace and not following the law. And so they were following Paul around whenever he went on these missionary journeys and tried to turn people back uh, to the Jewish religion. They were called Judaizers for this reason. And they said that you had to follow the Old Testament Mosaic law in order to truly be saved. And so as Paul comes into this southern region, which is mainly Gentiles, and he leads them to faith in Christ, a word that means the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Uh, they came in right after Paul and said, well, Paul didn't give you the full story. You have to follow the rules and the ritual. You have to be circumcised. You have to be doing the things that the Mosaic law calls on. And so this is the battle that we're going to see all throughout this book. Paul was battling these Judaizers, these legalists, who said the gospel is not just grace, but you have to add works to the gospel. Now, I told you that I believe it's the earlier 48 or 49 writing. And another piece of evidence that points to this is if you read in Acts, you see that there was a Jerusalem council that took place in 49 AD. And this is where all the other apostles, the original uh, 11 of the 12, remember Judas had rejected Jesus and they replaced him. The, The group of 12 were gathered together in Jerusalem where they took up this question about whether Gentile converts to the Messiah Jesus had to also become Jewish converts and follow the law. And the council was unanimous. The the other apostles said, no, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ. You see that in Peter's summation in Acts 15.11, where he says, we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Jew and Gentile have to place her faith and trust in Jesus to be saved. And if Paul were writing at this later date in the mid-50s, he would have certainly said, hey, remember what the Jerusalem Council said. So this is why I think there's more than enough evidence to go with this Southern theory. Now, as I'm talking about these apostles meeting together, look at verse 1, because there Paul speaks of his authority and commission as being an apostle, but he says it's not through the agency of man. Uh, you'll remember that after Judas was replaced, it was the group of the original 11 that remained that appointed uh, the replacement apostle. Paul says that he is one untimely born in another of his letters. And Paul became an apostle on the road to Damascus. Paul, you'll remember, was a Pharisee by the name of Saul. He was a legalist that he's battling now. He was a guy who said the law is how you get to God. 
and he was persecuting Christians. He was arresting them. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. And now he was on the way to Damascus to arrest and put in prison and try to kill other Christians. And as he was doing so, the scriptures tell us how he encountered a blinding light and he was knocked to the ground. And, and, and Saul heard the word, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And as he said, who are you? He came to hear that this was the resurrected Jesus Christ. This was the Lord. This was the one that the believers had said was the Messiah and had risen from the dead that Paul had been denying. And he, re- he became a believer and a follower in Jesus, and he receives this commission. And that's what the word apostle literally means. You'll hear people, the word apostle means one who is sent with a commission. One who is sent with a commission. Now, you've probably encountered people in our day who say, well, I'm an apostle. Uh, But as you read the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, it tells us there are two qualifications to be called an apostle. In Acts 121 through 26, one is that you have to have seen physically the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said he was one untimely born. He was not in the original followers of Jesus, but he had this encounter with the resurrected Christ. He saw him physically. And the second is that you are commissioned specifically as this messenger, as this leader to go out with the good news of the gospel. And so this is why Paul says, I am an apostle, but not under the agency of man. It comes directly from God himself. Now, he wasn't trying to brag. He wasn't trying to say, I'm better than everybody else, these other believers. But what he was doing, remember, he's fighting these Jewish legalists who said, hey, we have this authority called the law. And Paul said, I have this higher authority called God himself. And God has said, this is the message of grace. This is how you are saved, uh, through faith alone in Jesus alone. And so he, he gives us this message of grace in verse 3. Here we find a very succinct statement of the gospel because he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. As, as you look at what is happening here, he says we are saved through God's rescue mission where God's son left his throne in heaven and he came and he willingly gave his life on a cross where he died to pay the penalty of death that was owed for our sins. And then in verse one, we saw where Paul said after he was buried in the grave, he rose from the dead and that's the gospel that we're saved through the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross to wash away our sins. We receive that gift of grace by faith alone. And as we receive this gift of grace, he says it leads to peace with God. This is where this greeting where he says grace and peace to you is so important. And this divine grace is the basis of our peace with God. Remember when our sins were committed, we broke fellowship with God. There was this, this breaking and separation from God, but Jesus provided this cross that became the bridge we could walk across that restored our relationship. We were redeemed through the shed blood of Jesus. And this is what Paul is saying. Because you've received grace, Galatian believers, you have this peace with God. But then he says something happened. These Judaizers came in and they disturbed you, a word that literally means the opposite of peace. He says they robbed you of your joy, of your feeling of security, this this fellowship that you had with God by bringing in this distorted, counterfeit gospel. 
As you read the New Testament and all the letters of Paul, you'll see that the letters begin as Paul did here, where he greets them. And in his greeting, he establishes who he is. We've seen his authority. We've seen his greetings. But in all the other New Testament letters that God had Paul write for us, you'll then find some words of commendation where he'll say to them, I have fond memories of this, or I commend you for your partnership in the gospel. But as you look here at Galatians, you'll notice that that's missing. He goes from this establishment of his authority and this speaking of greetings to correction. Because in verse 6, he says there is this serious issue that has come in where you're being drawn away, where there's this counterfeit gospel that, that has come in. Remember, Paul has just been with them. This 49 AD date would mean he had just been in the region, and literally six to eight weeks later, as he's left and he's back in Antioch, these Judaizers have come and have drawn the Galatians away. And so Paul comes in and he writes this letter with great urgency to try to bring them back to the foundation of, of truth. It's why he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. That word deserting is actually the military term for desertion. And it speaks of transferring your allegiance from one side to the other. He says, you were over here in the camp of grace. You had freedom. And and now you're back under bondage over here in the legalistic camp. You've been drawn under these rules and rituals and works. And and it's the verb here is not in a completed action. So Paul is saying there's still an opportunity to bring you back to the truth, which is why God had him write this urgent letter. And as he does so, he's he's trying to help them see the 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 division that they're in. He says, You were here free. But now you're back as a slave. He says, what slave who has been set free from his bond master, this this taskmaster who who beat and abused and had you under this yoke of bondage, why would you who were free go over here? He says, what person who was set free and had their debt canceled, where they no longer had to pay on this account to their creditors, would say, oh, let me go back and continue to pay on an account that God has closed? Remember when Jesus died on the cross, he said in John 19.30, it is finished, literally paid in full. And he says, why would you who are free and no longer having to pay a debt want to once again follow this, this law of rules and rituals? He says, what prisoner who was over here and had been pardoned and set free says, no, let me go and live behind bars again, back under this law of bondage. This is the picture of Galatians and what's happening And as you look at your own life this morning, I want you to ask yourself, where are you? Do you live over here in grace? Or are you somebody who's over here in this this religion of works and bondage? I can tell you that as a young man, uh, I lived over here in bondage. I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. I had my confirmation, my baptisms, my... Uh, I was later baptized as a believer when I understood full grace, but I, I lived over here in this system of works. I was an altar boy. I prayed the rosary. I did all these sacramental works. I knew the truth of who Jesus was. Catholicism will tell you Jesus is God's son. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty. But then there are these, these works that are brought in. And I was living over here in fear. Literally every day I wondered, am I in or out? If I were to die today, would I go to heaven or would I be out? 
When I go to this place that Catholicism teaches is purgatory, where it's a waiting room where you do time and in the penalty box and earn your way into heaven. And that's not in the scriptures, but that's a sermon for another day. Um, But I lived over here in fear and bondage. And when I came to understand fully what the gospel of grace was, and I moved over here, I found freedom in Christ. I still live for God. I still serve him. I still do all the things I did before, but out of joy and out of freedom, not out of this fear that can I get into heaven when I die. And as you look at your life, if you don't understand that, I want you to memorize and live Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. And this is what Paul is telling the Galatians. Why are you back over here living in bondage when there is this gospel of grace Now, as we're talking about what happened to the Galatians, it's a warning for all of us here today. In the baby dedications that we just did, where we had these these five children, and in the first service when I dedicated others, I told you these are brand new babies. And, And parents and us as a church family have this privilege and responsibility to come alongside and walk with them and help these newborns grow in their knowledge of God. And ultimately, we pray faith in God and then to walk with him. The Bible gives us a picture when we come to faith in Christ as being born-again believers. We've had a physical birth, and then we have a spiritual rebirth where we become a part of the family of God. And that's what the term born-again means. Another word that is used in the Bible for a new believer is a neophyte. It's a word that literally means newly planted. And over my uh, break, my Christmas break... Uh, I had a break in my water line going into my house. Some of you have experienced the joy of that. Of course, it happens on New Year's Eve, you know. When uh, And so what had happened was we had these old bushes in the front that had been there for 15 or more years, and they had grown up around the line, and they eventually snapped this line going in. So here's a picture of one of the bushes I had to dig out on the right. You can see just these, these deep roots and this gnarled thing. As I went in there, I had to dig it out, and then I had to use the Texas toothpick, you know, one of those big metal pry bars. I'm, I'm in the ground and all the rocks and, and roots. And, and I pulled these, these roots out in order to get to where the break had been. And then afterwards, I replanted, you can see this new Texas sage bush next to it. Now, if you walk up into my yard, don't do this, please, but if you walk up into my yard and grab a hold of that new bush, you will be able to just lift it right out of the ground. You know why? Because it has this newly planted root ball. It's this tight little wad of dirt and roots that have not established themselves unlike these other roots that have had time to grow. And so this picture of being newly planted, a brand new believer being easily ripped or moved is what's happening with the Galatians. Because remember, Paul has just led them to faith weeks or months before. And as Paul goes away, they're still getting established in the truth. And when these Judaizers come in and they say, hey, 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 you don't understand the full gospel. There is this man named Jesus who died. There is this penalty that was paid. But you have to add in these works. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. There are things that you have to to do in order to make your salvation complete. 
uh, Paul says what they're doing is they're drawing them away uh, out of the, the truth of the gospel. And this is, this is what is happening. And as these new believers are moved from the side of grace back over to legalism, they're not losing their salvation. I want you to understand that very clearly. The Bible tells us that once we are saved, we are always saved. You can read in John 10, 28 through 29. There Jesus Christ says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall not perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What what the picture is, is if you think of the nail-scarred hand of Jesus, he says we are placed in it, and he closes it around. And then he says, God the Father comes and he closes his hand around this double security. And he says, nothing, nothing can snatch you away. Read Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Read to the end of Romans 8. He talks about nothing being able to separate us from God, neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities, height, depth. He goes to his whole resume, including any created thing. That's us. He says, once you are mine, I paid too high a price, and you cannot lose your salvation. Now, what you can lose, what you can lose is the joy of your salvation. You can be like a young Roger who was living in fear. Am I in or out? Have I done enough today serving God out of slavish obedience to to, to hope that you're good enough to get in rather than recognizing You are in based upon what Jesus did. And then we live in that liberty out of love, not out of fear and obedience. And if you're here today trying to get to God by how good you are, you can't do it. You won't make it. Because the Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous. No, not one. That's you. That's me. It tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Every single one of us. That word sin means literally to miss the mark. It was an archery term used to describe where if you shot 100 arrows at a bullseye and 99 of the arrows hit right in the center mark, but just even one was outside of that center mark, the archery judge would walk up and write, you sinned, a word that means to miss the mark. It says you were not perfect. You didn't get 100 out of 100 arrows in the target. And for us to say, Galatians has been called the many Romans of the Bible. And as you read through Romans, he tells us there, if you're trying to get to God through the law, you have to keep the law 100% of the time. And he says, you can't do it. Remember Romans 3.23, all have sinned. And as sinners, the problem is we owe a penalty, a penalty of death. Because Romans 6.23 goes on to say, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages are what we earn. You go to your job, you get a paycheck, that's your wage. If you say, God, I'm earning my way home to heaven by going to church, putting money in the plate, doing nice things. uh, God says, those are all great. But you're a sinner. And because of that, you owe a penalty of death. And that death penalty has to be paid. It's why Jesus died on the cross He died to pay the penalty in full for your sins and mine. And this is the gospel of grace that is being talked about all throughout Galatians. Now, as 
as we're talking about this gospel of grace and placing our faith and trust in Jesus, not only is there a restoration of this broken relationship with God in heaven, but there's rest. There's rest for us, peace. When you read this word peace, it's through grace. The broken relationship is restored. The striving after God is taken away. But what Paul says in verse 7 is something has come and taken away your peace. He says somebody is disturbing you. The exact opposite of peace. And he says they're doing this through, through distorting the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. Good news. And here's the good news. You did nothing to earn your salvation, nor did I. Remember the summary there in verse 3 is Jesus did it all. He came on his rescue mission. He set us free. He washed away our sins through the shedding of his blood. But what the Judaizers came in with was a gospel of bad news. They said, here's the bad news. You're not really saved because there's still stuff you have to do. And as they were adding in this additional set of things to do, Paul says they are preaching a different gospel. Now, here's the Greek word he uses for different, heteros. And that word is one that you know because we talk about heterosexual relationships, right? What is a heterosexual relationship? It means where there is a man and a woman. The word means another of a different kind. Well, human beings, there are different kinds of humans. There is a man and there is a woman, two different genders. So you are human, but you are another of a different kind. And he says they are coming in and saying there are two gospels. There is a gospel of grace, and then there's a gospel of works. And they're saying this is just another of a different kind. And what Paul says is, no, no, you, you, there is no other gospel. Have you read John fourteen six? Jesus Christ, God himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says there's one way home to heaven. And that is only through what I did on the cross as I paid the penalty of death. And anybody who comes in and says there is another way home to heaven. He says they are preaching you a different gospel that look at what he says is really not another. He says you don't have a man or a woman. You have an it. You have something that is neither uh, when you are preaching this other gospel because they can't get you to heaven. And, and so as Paul is, is saying this, uh, he says they are distorting the gospel there in verse 6. This word for distorting is the Greek word metastrepho, and it means to pervert, to twist, or to distort. And it literally means to change it from what it is to the exact opposite. As you read through the Bible, you'll find this word in Acts 2.20. There it describes the sun which is shining being turned to darkness. It's the exact opposite. The sun that produces light, he says, is now dark. He says in the, in the book of James in 4.9, laughter is turned to mourning. You've gone from joy and laughing to weeping and wailing, the exact opposite of what it is. And this is what happens when you take the gospel of grace, which is something God has freely given. The word grace literally means unmerited favor. 
unmerited favor. And it says when we take something God freely gave to us and we add anything to it, then you've changed the whole gospel. Now, I've talked to people who will tell me, well, Roger, Roger, it's really not a big deal. Look, the Bible says that as a Christian, you're supposed to be baptized after you become a believer, right? That's a step of obedience. It's something all Christians should do. So what's the harm in saying you have to be baptized in order to be saved? Is there any harm in that? Yeah. Because you've just taken and made the gospel something it's not. The gospel is grace through faith alone in Jesus alone and what he did in his salvific work on the cross and you've added baptism to it. Read Acts 16.30. Paul and his companions were in jail and God set them free and the Philippian jailer came to them in fear after they had been set free by this earthquake and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The most direct question in the Bible about how are we saved And in Acts 16.31, the very next verse, he says, believe. Not believe and be baptized. Not believe and speak in tongues. Not believe and join the church. Not believe and receive the ordinances like communion. He says, believe and you will be saved. Now, a few verses later, we see the Philippian jailer and his family are baptized, but not to become believers, but because they are believers. Baptism is a picture of being buried with Jesus as he went into the grave, and then three days later, he rose in newness of life and came out. When we, bury, when we baptize somebody, you'll hear us say many times, buried in the likeness of Christ, raised in newness of life. The water does not wash away our sins. The blood of Jesus did that. This is a picture of being buried and having this new resurrection. So if you add anything, anything to the gospel, you've changed it. You've made it a heteros, another of a different kind, something that is really not the gospel. In Galatians 2.21 that we'll come to later in this series, Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. No reason Jesus had to come and die on the cross if anything else is needed. Now, in verses 8 through 9, Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, and I say again to you now, if man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. This word accursed is the Greek word anathema. And it is the strongest word there is. It literally means damnation. I didn't make a slide because I didn't want you looking at the word damn up there. All right. (laughs) He says, you are to be damned. You are to be judged. It was a word that was used of, of the things that were placed under the ban for destruction. When the Jews would come in and conquer a city rather than keeping the loot, God said, put it aside. It is to be utterly destroyed. And that's what this word anathema means. It speaks of the judgment that comes at the end of the world when those who have not come to Christ are set apart, separated from God for all eternity in the second death in the lake of fire, what we call hell. He says, you were set apart from God. And this is what this word means. And he says, those who are preaching this other gospel are doing that. They're setting people apart to anathema, judgment and separation. And he says, you, 
will be set apart for judgment and separation because of this false counterfeit gospel you're preaching. Now, you may be sitting here saying, well, you know, Roger, this is, this is all great, but I live in, in 2020 in San Antonio. This stuff that was happening to Paul in the first century, it, it, it really doesn't have any bearing on me today. If that's what you think, let me ask you if you've ever heard of Islam. Has anybody here heard of Muslims and Islam and the Quran? Do you know where the gospel that the, the Islamic people follow comes from? They claim that the angel Gabriel showed up in 600 years after Paul was writing this. Remember, God said, I know what's coming. And he says, if anyone comes along and says, I have a new revelation, a new way home to heaven, and it even comes from an angel of heaven, what does Paul say we're to do with it? Reject it. It's false. It's counterfeit. It will lead to damnation. And 600 years after Paul wrote this letter, uh, Muhammad was said to receive from the angel Gabriel a different way home to heaven through works, through jihad, through various ways. And Paul says, that's false. And if you want something a little closer to home, both geographically and time-wise, have you heard of Mormonism? In 1830, Joseph Smith said, the angel Moroni appeared from heaven with this revelation of a new way home to heaven through works and this mixture of who Jesus is. They use the same words as we do, but they have different meanings. And Mormonism teaches a counterfeit false way home to heaven. Now, I know I'm stepping on a lot of toes possibly here this morning. We live in a politically correct society that says, don't use words like hell and judgment and damnation. Don't talk about sin. Uh, we live in a world that says nobody should claim exclusive truth. There, nobody should be able to say that their way is the only way home to heaven. I'm not saying it. God said it. And as a pastor who is preaching God's word, I'm going to say what God said. Friends, I would rather you leave mad today at me then leave lost. This is a hill worth dying on. Jesus thought Calvary was a hill worth dying on in order to save us from our sins. As Paul said, if he didn't have to die on that hill called Calvary, uh, if there's some other way home to heaven, then the death of Christ was needless, worthless. Didn't need to happen. But Jesus said there is only one way home to heaven, and I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And Paul was somebody that said, this is a hill worth dying on. He says, I know this isn't popular. Look at what he says in verse 10. For I am now, he says, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? He says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Translation, Paul says, I would have stayed a Pharisee. I would have stayed the guy who said, there's a way to work your way home to heaven, follow the law, do these things. He said, I was popular among the legalists. I was rising in the ranks of pharisaical, you know, up-and-comers. And he says, all of that went away when I encountered the resurrected Lord who told me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so as I said, I would rather that you leave mad at me today I would rather that you say, well, Wayside is not a loving church, and we are. We're teaching the love of God. 
the most loving thing I can do is tell you how much God loved you. Because he says in Romans 5, 8, he demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't take any joy in saying that there are people who are lost out there following the wrong way home to heaven. But God says there is a way home and it is our job as believers who have received that gift of grace to be messengers of that gift of grace. I want you to turn over in your Bible to the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. You go to Revelation chapter 20. Because if you're here this morning and you're still saying, well, you know, Roger, I think I can get to God my way. I think that I can earn my way home to heaven. And I want you to look at Revelation chapter 20. Because in Revelation 20, we're told about the end of time where the last judgment takes place, where Jesus, the book of John tells us that God the Father has given judgment to the Son. So when we read about the one seated on the throne, this is Jesus Christ himself. And in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, uh, this is what it says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Notice that that's plural. Books were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, plural, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's what we call hell. And so what we're reading about here is the judgment at the end of the world. And those who are at the great white throne judgment are those who have rejected Jesus Christ. If you are a believer who has accepted the gift of God's grace, you will not be at the great white throne judgment. We face another judgment called the Bema Seat, which is where our life works are judged for rewards, not for entrance into heaven. We can't buy our way to God, but the way we live our life determines rewards in heaven. Those who are at this judgment are those who said, I reject the gift of grace. Their name's not in the book of life. They say, God, I want to be judged on how I live my life. I was good enough to get to you. And so God, being a just God, says, let's look at your life. And he opens the books that record every deed you have ever done in your life. And he's looking through it and he goes, wow, lots of great stuff here. You served in vacation Bible school. You helped a little old lady across the street. You did all these other nice things. And he goes through your whole life works. And he says, but I also see here where you sinned. Even once, you took that cookie your mom told you not to. You lied about that thing. You stole this. That's sin. And God is a just God says, I'm holy. And sin cannot reside in my presence. So the penalty of sin has to be paid. And he said, I did that. Remember, Jesus is the one judging. And he said, I did that on the cross. But because you've rejected my gift of grace, you've chosen to pay the penalty yourself. And because you physically died the first death, he says the second death of separation from me, from you, for all eternity takes place, and you're sent to the lake of fire. And so the question this morning is this. Have you ever accepted God's gift of grace? 
Have you ever said to God, I recognize I'm a sinner, a person who has not been perfect. And because of that, God, I know I owe a penalty, a penalty called death. And as such, God, I am choosing to give you the place, not only as the throne leader of my life, but as the one who gave your life in my place. I accept your death as the payment for my sins to wash away the penalty of death. And if you've done that, you are saved. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But if you've rejected his gift of grace, it says here that you will be rejected and you will be sent to the lake of fire. And so if you're here today and you've never received God's gift of grace, I want to end today by giving you an opportunity to do so. I'm going to pray a prayer. There's nothing magic about the prayer. It's just your way of saying to God, I'm confessing with my mouth. That is saying the same thing as you say, God, about who your son is, the one who died for me, the one who gave his life to give me the gift of eternal life, and I accept that gift today. If you'd like to do that, then pray this prayer with me. You can pray it in the privacy of your heart and mind. You don't have to walk the aisle, raise your hand, or even say it out loud. Just pray this prayer if that's your desire. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I've tried to live a good life, but I know I've made mistakes. And because of that, God, I know I deserve a penalty, a penalty of death. I thank you, Jesus, that you came and you took my place, that you paid that penalty for me. And I accept by faith you as my Savior, the gift of your grace today. I thank you, God, that you've given me this gift of new and eternal life, and I pray that you would help me to walk in newness of life. I pray this in the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, there are going to be prayer leaders here at the front at the end. We would love to talk to you to make sure you understand the step of faith you just took. And for the rest of us who know the Lord, God calls on us to go and be messengers of his grace to share the good news of what he's done.